Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Allen Overeys podcast. It's your host, Dario DiMartino, an M&A partner and co-head of our blockchain and fintech practice. We're back for the second half of our conversation with Eva Gardner, head of corporate development at Bitstamp, the world's longest-running cryptocurrency exchange, and Tony Scuderi, chairman and CEO of Imperi Partners, a crypto-native investment bank. In this part two of this episode, we discuss the mindsets of buyers and founders, key challenges for companies when navigating M&A before and after closing, including challenges related to integration. Now, let's get into sort of the, the mindsets and, and frameworks that buyers and founders of crypto companies ought to keep in mind when, when navigating M&A. And let me turn to you, Eva. What factors should buyers consider when evaluating a target in the crypto space? Which which frameworks should buyers use to make these decisions? Yes, I mean, as already mentioned, you cannot kind of follow a typical DCF approach when evaluating different opportunities out there. However, at the end of the day, I would always argue that you use DCF one way or another, even if that means evaluating the network, evaluating the team and so on. Uh, so going into that, I think it's super important, first of all, to have a very clear view on what you are trying to achieve as a company through inorganic expansion. As Tony mentioned before, yes, several companies are looking into crypto but kind of a lot of them, at least how I see it, lacking very much focused approach and, you know, also lacking some really strong capabilities internally to just understand the space. So, yes, first of all, really understand, well, what does it increase our valuation if, if you are looking into that as a, as a company that is acquiring or, you know, how does this fit our, our business model or how does it expand our business? So that's that's a very first one uh, to start with. But other than that, I would say in crypto, it's all and a lot about the team that is behind. So very much looking into specific individuals behind. What we do at Bitstamp is actually not, you know, just to look at the employee track record and so on but we actually find the people on the market that used to work with these people and know them inside out, to call it that way, and to really, you know, understand how they operated in the past, whether they are capable of building a successful business going forward and so on. Then a very specific point to this industry, especially Web3 part of it, is network. So not everything network and what i mean by network is also tackling the community and so on so what kind of reputation does the company have have in the community how broad is this community how many people believe in it that's super super important and cannot be emphasized enough so that's something definitely to look in additional one definitely how well this company innovates and how well is technically built because we all know crypto is still early. Even though everybody's looking at it, it's still super early and it will scale a lot. So if you don't have the technology behind that is scalable, that is bulletproof, and it kind of can expand as we go, 
it doesn't mean that you won't acquire, but it's, it definitely means that this is something you need to be very well aware of. And at the end of the day, the last one, uh, but not least, is the regulatory landscape. So regulatory angle and uh, legal deep dive. That's something we already mentioned, and that's also super important when it comes to um, observing different deals out there and evaluating them. Thank you, Eva. That all sounds super important. Maybe Tony, let's try to unpack some of the some of the concepts that um, Eva mentioned. Sure. Um, and, I'll, and I'll stress again that you know in this space is really important to have experienced financial professional like yourselves assisting clients with respect to the valuation process, but also the negotiation of many other financial terms. So, so Eva mentioned that DCF may not be an appropriate. Um, set of criteria to be using in this space. What would you think is is uh, so a more appropriate valuation methodology? Well, yeah, I, I think the, the a really key point here that Eva touched on is is the you know this concept of team and tech. I, it's it's obviously important in in any deal, but in crypto, you almost have no horizontal uh, integrations really happening right now. It's most companies are looking to acquire um, unique and new capabilities that can be integrated with with their company, and they want the teams they're bringing over to continue to build. And that makes it critically important uh, to to really evaluate that piece of it. It also makes it um, less of a financial decision. So every buyer has to decide what they're willing to to bear in terms of you know, potential dilution if they're if they're you know buying with equity but also thinking about what that might do to their to their multiple and and how that might deepen their moat over time so it, it's this is to say that the deals in this space at least the ones that we're involved in are highly strategic is there's very little you know financial alchemy going on in crypto the the strategic uh, deals that we do, it's it's buyers who are thinking about the the race against other crypto companies, to uh, and importantly, deepening their moat ahead of what you know we perceive as a certain M and A wave coming from you know outside of crypto, coming from enterprise into crypto. Uh, so the the large and successful companies today in crypto still have a lot of work to do uh, in terms of really shoring up their moat, you know, their business before um, these really deep pocketed large global players come to our space. That all makes a lot of sense. Thank you, Tony. Eva, back to you. What are some of the main reasons for founders of a crypto business to start uh, a sale process versus waiting to be acquired? Yeah, I think what we are seeing a lot in this space is actually founders already establishing companies in order to sell at the later stage. So, yes, of course, talking about some long runners while others are just, you know, short stayers. But sometimes where where the founders are, are looking to sell kind of before this comes naturally Mainly for a couple of reasons. Typically, technically, things are built out well. Maybe also the product solution is is good fit for the market as such. But 
the founders are lacking connections to the market to boost commercial roadmap or lacking specific knowledge uh, or regulatory uh, knowledge or lacking, you know, the capacity to target different jurisdiction and perform like geographical expansion. Sometimes you would be surprised they are kind of lost even on how to handle the the regulatory landscape in the very do domestic area, like the built-in area where, where they actually establish the company. And sometimes it's just looking for a strategic partner that could boost growth. What we are seeing a lot lately, and that's a very interesting trend, is well-established company from traditional space, you know, seeing potential application in crypto and not knowing how to enter and kind of reaching out to be looking for potential acquirer. So kind of entering this space and trying to expand a lot, trying to, you know, wave this large retail wave that can exchanges offer, right? And additional clients that could be onboarding through, through such an acquisition. So really, you know, some players looking also into merger and realizing, okay, we cannot handle the entire market by ourselves. Uh, let's look into potential partners that could be working hand in hand going forward. However, no, no larger mergers, mergers as, as such didn't, hasn't happened yet in the space, but we can expect this wave uh, going forward, maybe not in the next year, but in a couple of next years, definitely. Got it. And putting yourself in a position to to get acquired, as you mentioned, takes a lot of work and, and preparation. So what would you recommend that founders do to get acquired, to be in a position to receive an offer rather than having to sell? That's a good question. <laughs> I would <laughs> say in the first place, well, they need to do their homework, uh, if I make a little joke. So... I don't know, but yes, I would very much recommend if you want to go that road or even if not, right? I, I'm really strong advocate of things happening naturally if you do the right things. So kind of super important to focus that your business is solving for a problem. Either that is something related to retail business, to institutional, really does not matter. But I would say... Really, that's I cannot emphasize how important that is. And on top of this, you know, crypto is already super complicated for the majority of normal human beings out there. So I would say make things simple and not simpler. And I think that's already a good way to go. Because if you do right things, sooner or later, somebody will, you know, approach with an appropriate offer. Uh, we, we are seeing a very strong trend of money flowing into the space. So that's that's not a problem. Just focusing on a couple of key things and that that's it. Great. Thank you, Eva. That makes sense, Eva. It's yeah, and I would I would echo that just by saying, you know, we get approached occasionally by founders who they really just they want to be done. They want to sell their company. Um, maybe they they feel there's there's a lot of risk or there's some other issues that we, we might not even know about. But, you know, we don't take those mandates. You know, we're really looking for the founders who have 
We've built something really valuable and are energized to continue to build and are under resourced and, and the synergies that they might find in the marketplace with a with a buyer would actually allow them to see their vision much more quickly and, and do it in a in a more um, durable way. So that's uh, those are the kind of founders that we look for. They they didn't build the businesses to sell them, but they they are they do happen to be you know usually in you know a pretty monoline business, right? They're all we're all entrepreneurs starting you know these these specific companies in a core area of expertise, and then you know as the industry expands, you know you can see that the synergies start to develop, and and you know you, you as a founder you may not want to build out the breadth of you know everything it might take to. Uh, you know, really create a capable standalone enterprise, but you do that one core thing so well that it becomes extremely valuable to the marketplace. Thank you, Tony. Let me let me stay with you. From your vantage point, what are some key challenges during the deal process for buyers and sellers of crypto companies? Many of which, as you've mentioned, are you know smaller and and younger and, and maybe M and A first timers. You know, I think the biggest thing is is just that process, right? And and sort of the the lack of trust, this this interesting dynamic that you have in, in a deal process where you've gone through this process, you you maybe selected one buyer that that you like the best, so taking it from the sell side perspective, because that's that's where you know we generally are, and the, you know it sort of feels like. This, this buyer is your best friend. They're offering you this, this life-changing wealth and telling you how amazing you know, your company is and, you, and you know, how important your life's work is. And now they're sitting across the table from you and their interests and yours are not aligned until you, know, you ultimately close that transaction. And, and that's been a difficult dynamic, I think, for a lot of our young founders to, to appreciate. They just kind of want to dive in and, 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 you know, and, and trust these guys and build those relationships. And, and you need to do that but until that deal uh, is definitive, uh, you also need to kind of keep arm's length and do what's in the best interest of, of you and your company and understand that, you know, they're on the other side of the table. Um, so, you know, that's that's where we come in and, and, and try to play that role and and make sure that uh, the interests of our clients are are uh, observed and, and protected. Can I um, add of something course. to it? From, from our perspective, we also seen quite so many very successful founders that kind of transition themselves from traditional finance, super experienced already and kind of jumped into crypto. And I would just like to make a little bit of comparison here to marriage because, you know, it's it's a very funny thing I heard from more like experienced professionals saying sometimes you need to marry with a gun on your head, right? So really being into tough negotiations, looking into greater good, also, you know, putting business first and moving from there, right? Exactly what Tony mentioned. And then on the other hand, more young and energy-driven founders where, where they say like, the worst thing you can do is marry a wrong person, right? So really betting on relationship and the energy and believing into greater good from other perspective, from energy perspective, from collaboration perspective going forward. So yes, definitely two very different angles and very interesting to, to observe, to say at least. That, that's a really funny comment that you make, you know, about uh, M&A and specifically 
mergers and, and more specifically merger of equals being like a, a marriage, right? There's two companies that were born at different times in different circumstances, perhaps different socioeconomic um, environments with different priorities and now all of a sudden are merging and, and sort of building uh, or continuing uh, to build a, a business together um, and, and become one entity. So that's, that's really um, a funny concept that I think is actually very true in this space. Thank you for raising that. Uh, let me stay with you, Eva, because all these unique hurdles that we've mentioned, right, those relating to valuation and due diligence and, and process in the crypto space um, also relate to the post-closing integration phase, which is often sort of the most critical measure of long-term M&A success. Um, so critical that buyers often consider the first quarter or the first couple of quarters after closing a, a predictor of the likelihood of success of the overall transaction. So um, when crypto companies are acquired, what are some of the unique challenges associated with integrating their businesses? Yes, uh, that's very, very well pointed out. Thank you, Dario. Definitely, that's the toughest part of the deal from my perspective. It really depends what kind of business are we acquiring. So whether it is an additional business run can, that can be run independently, that's a completely different story. So in that case, one needs to figure out, well, how the corporate, corporate governance will look like, how this company will be integrated in the overall group, right? So if, for example, right, if we're talking about some of the biggest exchanges out there, already a couple of thousand employees, and in case you integrate a very small, agile company that is super important for the business, one needs to really make sure that the corporate governance, the reporting lines and process and so on, does not slow that company that much that it kind of is not able to operate and do their best um, as moving forward. That's really important to consider. But, you know, if this is additional add on to the core business as such, then of course you need to take care of several other angles. That's why what Tony mentioned before as well, the technical due diligence is so, so important, especially in those cases, because if your systems are not compatible with the target systems, then you already have to do a, a great lift in order to make this work. So that's super important. So that's one angle. And of course, also cultural match and so on, organizational fit. That's another one. Also, you need to, sometimes you need to adjust your target operating model in order to make things work. Uh, but maybe to share how we do these things within Bitstamp. So for every deal out there, we have an accountable executive that kind of drives that deal from conceptual perspective. And what that means is also that when the company will be acquired, this executive kind of, uh, the, the company reports into that executive and, you know, that's kind of the corporate governance structure. And then on the other hand, of course, corporate development team supports a lot the entire process. We kind of also um, draft and plan for the integration phase, which is typically 60 to 90 days after the transaction, exactly what you mentioned. 
first few months are crucial in order to make this a success. And of course, also product teams cooperate closely where we have specific individuals that are specialized for that kind of uh, strategic acquisitions and support this deal and specific area within the organization with accountable executive in charge to make this work together with corporate development team. That sounds like a, like a lot of work. So um, I think it's critical that integration planning be carefully analyzed ahead of time, right? It seems like implementation may require a lot of time-consuming tasks. Um, and, and thanks very much for your insights, Eva. That's, that's very, uh, very interesting. Tony, anything to, to, to add? Well, I'm glad there are companies like Bitstamp that, that have really sophisticated corporate development groups and are able to, to take on this task. It is really important. You know, we care very deeply that, uh, that the deals that we're a part of uh, are successful for both uh, our client, the target, uh, and the acquirer. And it does require work. You know, our responsibilities end um, really when the deals close. But what goes into that uh, is, is, you know, is really important. It's, it's understanding um, the dynamics of integrating a company. Uh, it's understanding that company, their culture, the team, the tech, all the things that, that Ava touched on, um, really critical. Um, and no matter how much of that you have settled ahead of time, there's work to be done. It's it's really an investment, not just financially, but uh, but in resources as as the acquirer brings uh, the target into the company. So um, we uh, we're we're really encouraged that we're seeing a lot of of companies um, develop groups uh, like Ava's group uh, at Bitstamp, and um, and and I think that's going to make for better deals, much more capable acquirers, and and you're going to see more deals as a result. Thank you, Tony. Um, all right, let me ask you both one last uh, question. Uh, 2021, the first quarter of 2022, have been incredibly busy um, when it comes to crypto M&A. What do you think crypto M&A will look like for the rest of 2022? I, I would say in one word, fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we're going to see a lot of money still coming into crypto space. Even if the market goes slightly sideways or even, you know, um, turning into more like bearish market, I still believe that a lot of money will go into Web3 companies and especially NFTs. Strongly also believe this part of the space will kind of tr transform the crypto future to anything we've known before. So I'm expecting a lot of M&A activity regardless, but yes, in case more bearish market conditions come uh, in place, I would say, I, I would just say yes, in case of a more bearish market conditions, expecting smaller Web3 companies and NFT players out there um, to be up for acquisition. And maybe on the other hand, I'm not expecting consolidation within the same areas of industry yet. I uh, would say that that, def that is definitely something coming up. However, still so many innovation areas to cover that I don't think that will happen within this year or probably also not within next year, but something we should be looking for in, let's say, in 2024, 2025. Thank you, Eva. Tony. 
Yeah, that that I think that makes a lot of sense on the consolidation point too. It's, we're still a little ways away from from seeing that, but we will at some point um, in a couple of areas that, that we could certainly identify. You know, I'll take it more broadly. I think we will see many more deals this year, and and we're going to see higher transaction values. It will still be led by crypto to crypto vertical integration. You know, which is mainly what we've been talking about today. Companies outside of crypto are still they're still in the formative stages of their strategy, and it's, it's very hard for them to get comfortable. But we're starting to see that. So PE and and traditional enterprise will still lag, but you're going to see more activity there. Uh, we actually did get an announcement last week of Bolt acquiring Wire, so that's you know fin you know fintech coming into to crypto. And eventually, we're going to see a tidal wave of, of enterprise coming into crypto, but I think you're just going to see uh, the seeds of that this year. Uh, while again, the, by at least by deal number, you'll see many more deals uh, of crypto incumbents buying other crypto companies. Well, Eva and Tony, thank you so much for being with us today and, and sharing your really thoughtful insights. I'll just add that, you know, for deal makers seeking to drive growth, create synergies, cut costs or enter new crypto markets, M&A may be the answer, but only with expert deal analysis and proper planning execution and integration can buyers or founders employ M&A and, and sort of become the next link in the evolution of crypto. Uh, again, this is Dario DiMartino. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Allen and Overeys uh, podcast. If you'd like to learn more, be sure to visit www.allenovery.com slash crypto, where you'll find all of our crypto-related content. Again, thanks again for listening.